Thank you for listening to the Restoration City Church Podcast. For more information about our church or to support us financially, please visit rcc.church. Man, welcome. I'm glad that you guys are here. We are starting a new series of messages uh, this morning that's going to carry us for the next five weeks. And the goal of this sermon series is actually really, really simple. Um, I want to carve out some space for us as a community to be able to process everything that we have experienced through the pandemic. Right? And in doing that, I want to be really careful because I understand that you know we're not yet at this moment where we can declare that COVID is over. Like I was deeply aware as I was writing the talk this week that you know Delta variants are surging and LA is wearing masks and all that. So I'm not trying to be the like you know prophet that declares that it's finally and totally 100% behind us. On the other hand, it does seem safe to say that we are in a moment where things are shifting right now, right? If nothing else, I'm actually looking at unmasked faces in the room for the first time in about a year, which is pretty great, which also means just as an aside, if you don't laugh at my jokes, I can no longer blame it on the mask. So there's a part of me that's like happy to see your face, and then there's a part of me that feels nervous because if I make a joke like I did just there... Okay, see, you're not willing to laugh with me, you'll laugh at me. That's fine. We can do that together as long as we are connected this morning. I am happy, right? But it's not just masks. It's vaccination rates. It's infection rates. It's the fact that there's no longer a state of emergency in Virginia. We're just kind of at this moment where it feels like things are shifting. And that's a moment that it is worth us hitting pause on because what we tend to do as humans is to go through difficult experiences, you know, however big, however small, we get through them, we get to the other side, and then we move on as quickly as humanly possible, right? We just want to put bad stuff in the rearview mirror and kind of forget that it ever happened. And I understand that. Right? Because who really wants to dwell on the last 16 months? Right? I, I don't feel like the way to encourage us spiritually is to be like, hey, let's just dial back to that time. Remember when we all used to wash our groceries? Like, that was annoying. Like, that was super, super frustrating. You would spend all this time at the store, and then you would get home, and you would, like, scrub everything down. Right? We maybe can laugh at that one. There's nobody that laughs at distance learning. No, no. I mean, there was one day in our house, I'm nearly certain that every single member of the family, myself included, cried. There was like, okay, we're five for five. Everybody's now cried. Good. Now it's 10 a.m. Let's get going. Um, right? I mean, it was just like, there's nobody that's like, oh, yeah, remember the good? No, that was not fun. Right? I remember the early days of the pandemic where it felt like my iPhone was demanding like proof of life, because my step count was like 12. It was like, I'm sorry, are you still alive? Like you haven't moved very much today. What's happening with you, right? We don't really want to go back and take an extra lap around those days. But here's the problem with that approach. As much as we're like, yes, please, let's forget about all of that. When we don't take the time to process the things that we've been through, we never end up learning the lessons that God intends to teach us. And I believe that there is a tremendous spiritual dividend that we could experience in our lives if we're willing to slow down 
and ask God, by the power of his spirit, to just lead us in reflecting on some of the lessons that he's been trying to teach us over the last 16 months. And today, we're going to start with what is probably the foundational lesson in all of this, right? This is, in a sense, the lesson that the next four weeks are all built on. Because if nothing else, COVID absolutely showed every single one of us that we have far less control over our lives than we thought. I mean, that, that almost seems so obvious that I don't need to prove the point, but just to help us kind of feel that a little bit, I want you to think back to January 1st, 2020, right? New Year's Day, 2020, or if you want, you could do December 31st, 2019, kind of what you were doing on New Year's Eve, kind of how you spent New Year's Day. For me, that was relatively simple. Laura and I were in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium with about 65,000 college students for a conference called Passion 2020, and Hillsong United led worship going into the new year, and it's kind of this incredible moment. And I remember those days, and I remember coming back to D.C. feeling filled with such vision and such hope for our church. We were just about five years old as a church plant, and it just felt like we were kind of starting to hit our stride. You know, we'd figured out who we were as a community. We had figured out what values we were trying to live out. The church was growing. God was doing all kinds of incredible things. And I had all of these plans and all of these hopes and all of these dreams and all of these things that we were starting to see happen. And we kind of lived off that for January of 2020, kind of lived off that for February of 2020. It was late February. Every once in a while in staff meetings, somebody would be like, hey, COVID seems like things are like, what's going on over in China? What's happening in Europe? What's going on? And we're like, oh yeah, we got to start watching. We came together as a church on Sunday, March 8th, 2020. It was a totally normal Sunday. Chris was leading worship and we came together around God's word and it was awesome. And I don't know whether we ended it with these words, but there's a decent chance that the last thing we would have said from stage on Sunday morning was, all right, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday except we didn't see you next Sunday because America shut down over the course of five days. And it was enormously jarring for all of us, right? Because over the course of that week, really over the course of probably 72 hours, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we had so much of what we had taken for granted in life taken from us. Things that we just counted on were no longer there. Things like church, like coming together as a local body of believers. Things like school, things like travel. For some of us in the room and some of us online, things like our jobs went away fairly quickly. And for at least a period of time, things like seeing other people all of it was gone. And in the span of a couple of weeks, we lost any sense of control we had over our schedules, over our finances. It felt like we had lost control over our health. We certainly had lost control over our ability to plan. 
I mean, planning anything out for more than like two weeks in the future just felt like an insane, ludicrous waste of time, right? We, honestly, we lost any sense of confidence that we knew what tomorrow was actually going to look like. It was like, man, I'm just going to get up. I'm going to do today. I'm going to try to get through today. I'm going to go to sleep, and then we'll figure out tomorrow, tomorrow, right? We had no idea how long the pandemic was going to last, and we had no idea how bad it was going to get, right? So it's understandable that we freaked out. It's understandable that we look back to that period of time as deeply jarring. We look back at that as a period of time that really shook us to the core of who we are. But if you look at it scripturally, we look back at it as a period of time where what had always been true of us just became undeniable. Right? That, that what the scripture teaches about you and me as a human being all of a sudden just came to the surface in a way that we couldn't reduce it to just academic theology or some of the things that we talk about in Bible studies or nice conversational platitudes. Right? We had a crash course in what James wrote, James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Written by the half-brother of Jesus 2,000 years before COVID. Meaning those words were true on January 1st, 2020. And those words were true on March 8th, 2020. And maybe the most important thing you could hear me say today or hear God say to you today is that those words are still true today. Because I think one of the biggest mistakes that we could make as we come out of the pandemic is to take James 4, 13 and 14 and say, yes, absolutely, Take that verse. That was so 2020. I mean, that is the verse for 2020. Got it. Lived through it. But now we're starting to turn a corner. And I know there was a little season where I was out of control. But don't worry. I'm back. You know, I'm back on top of things. I'm back to control. I'm back to being able to call my own shots. I'm back to holding everything together. Because if we do that, we are headed down an enormously dangerous road. Because James is trying to say, look, this is not a statement to get you ready for life in a pandemic. This is a statement to help us understand the limitations of our humanity. He's making a point about who we are. He says, look, it's not pandemics that knock you out of control. It's the fact that your life is a vapor. It's this reality that life is fleeting, that life is finite, that life is fragile, that, honest to God, we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. Meaning, 
we don't even really know whether we're going to be here tomorrow. I mean, that's James's answer. He's like, man, we're all still, you know, dealing with the uncertainty of the summer. And, you know, are the kids actually going to go back in the fall? And what's going to happen with the economy? And what's happening with interest rates? And what about inflation? And what's going to happen with the stock market? And we have all of these questions. We have all of these things that we look at, and we feel the uncertainty of that. We feel that sense of, man, I still have some macro-level questions. And James is like, yeah, that might, I know. Man, you really don't know about the stock market, do you? They're like, no, I don't. It's freaking me out. He's like, I can help you feel better about that. They're like, oh, please, I'm all ears. And he's like, you also don't know if you're going to be alive on Tuesday. There's his encouragement. He's like, I'm not too worried about the stock market right now. I'm not too worried about all that other stuff. He's like, you can't take Tuesday for granted. No, I understand when I say that, you're like, wow, your goal was to make me feel better today, and right now I feel more anxious than I have felt in a very long time. And I get that, and I almost want us to sit in that for a minute, because when we actually confront how little control we have in our lives, it can be terrifying. I mean, it really is the kind of thing that messes with us. But if we keep reading in our passage for the day, I also believe that we can find tremendous joy in freedom when we finally admit that we are not in control of our lives. That the very thing that terrifies us is the very thing that God wants to use to free us and to lead us into a life of joyful surrender. Right? Keep, Keep reading with me. Verse 15 and 16. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And James is inviting us to three different shifts in our heart, right? The first one is the obvious one. The first one is really what we've been talking about all day long, to just humbly admit our lack of control, right? To take this to the point where we don't just pay lip service to James 4, but that we truly embrace it as the reality of our life. But notice what else James is doing here. He's helping us understand the root cause of our desire for control. He's like, look, look, it's not just a personality trait. It's not just that you are a control freak. Or as you like to say it, you just have high standards. You're just particular. Don't elbow your spouse. All right? It's not just that you're like, look, there's a right way to do it, my way and a wrong way, everybody else's, and you know, we just follow that path. He's like, no, no, no. The root cause of all of this is pride. He's like, no, no. The root cause of our desire for control is an arrogance that Andy Crouch, a fantastic author who thinks so well about this moment that we're in, tends to refer to as God playing. He's like, that's the theological issue here. That's the theological issue with control, is that we all have something in us 
that wants to take God's rightful place in the world. And it is, in a sense, it's just the core of who we are. We almost can't help but do it. Yet when we look at it objectively, it looks so foolish and it looks so silly. Right? Because it's kind of the theological equivalent of going in and sitting at your boss's desk when she's away on vacation and thinking that makes you in charge of the company. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It just makes you look silly. You're like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and like, feel what it's like to be in the corner office. Like, people are still going to ignore your email because it comes from your account. They don't care what chair you're sitting in. Yet we do that on a cosmic scale all the time where we're like, oh, oh, look, I'm not quite sure what God's up to. Maybe he looks like he's out of the office for the afternoon. I'll just be happy to sit on the throne of the world and kind of, you know, call the shots right now. And James is like, really? That is not going to work. That is not going to lead to joy and to freedom because you absolutely are not equipped to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. So he's like, hey, look, you're not in control. Let's just get good with it. Now, the only way to get good with the fact that we're not in control is if we keep moving and realize that God is in control. Right? N- notice what James is doing here. He is inviting us to live our life in a posture that says, if the Lord wills. Right? What, what, what is holding this whole section of James 4 together is a belief that although we are totally out of control when it comes to the details of our life, God is totally in control. Right? That he is writing a sovereign plan for your life and that the details of your story are unfolding under the sovereign control of God. Right? That is one of the foundational truths of Scripture. And it's right in the background here in James 4. It's kind of right behind the scenes. You can kind of see it peeking its head up and being like, all right, but if the Lord wills, we'll go and do such and such and we'll make all this stuff happen. But it bursts to the surface in a number of places in Scripture. Right? If you've wrestled with this question of, does the Bible teach that God is actually in control? Let me give you a couple passages that might help. Psalm 139, verse 16 Your eyes, talking about God, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Right? That God's sovereign control extends down to the days of our lives. He knows how many days we are going to have, and he knows his plans and his purposes in each and every single one of those days. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You see what scripture is doing. It's like, no, no, no. We're even willing, yes, talking figuratively, talking metaphorically, but also talking very practically, being like, no, God establishes the steps of our lives. It's not just that God's involved in the big picture decisions and he shows up two or three times and helps you figure out that one crucial career change and whether or not you should actually get married to that person and how to spend your retirement years. And that's all you can really count on him for. He's there for like, you know, the big three, the big four, the big five life questions. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm there every step of 
your life. Now, he's also there for the big stuff. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things together according to the counsel of his will. And I know some of us, you see the word predestined in Scripture, and your heart starts beating a little faster because it you know, raises all kinds of theological objections. And I was like, no, I love predestination. Let's talk about that. You will turn every small group discussion into a referendum on whether it's predestination or free will or whatever. And I get that, and I love that, and you have a heart for theology, and that's a beautiful thing. But that's not what we're going to talk about about this morning. We're going to talk about the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things according to the will of God. Now, for some of you, this is just a lap around familiar theological territory. You're like, yeah, yeah, yep, know it, got it. But here's the problem, I think, for all of us. We tend to be very comfortable with preaching the sovereignty of God, yet we live as what I might call a functional deist, right? Deism is not biblical Christianity. Deism is this belief that there is a God, that he is the creator, that he kind of set the world in motion, but now he's very much removed from it. Right? You, you may have heard in a college theology or philosophy class or something that Deus kind of will use the word picture of God kind of wound the hands on the clock and then he just kind of steps back and lets the world unfold. And, and he's really little more than a highly interested spectator where he's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. That's interesting. That's just not what the Bible teaches. Right? The Bible teaches a God who is intricately involved in all of the details of our lives. So that means that God is really in control of whether you get promoted this summer or whether you get fired this summer. God is in control of whether your dating relationship works out because you get married or it works out because you figure out he's not really the right one for you. Right? That God's sovereign involvement in our lives presses down into the details. Now, When I say that, I want to take a minute and acknowledge that that should raise a lot of questions in our mind. Whether you're brand new to church or whether you've been around church for a long time, right? Because there are legitimate questions of how God uses that control. And those questions are fair, they are valid, and I will tell you that they defy easy answers, Right? Because the, the sovereignty of God is really easy to preach when you just landed the dream job. Right? When everything's going great in your world, you're like, oh yeah, all glory to God. Yep, yep, not to us, oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. This is you, you who did it. All honor and praise. Yay, woohoo, dream job landed. That, that's great. We, we don't need to spend a lot of time on that scenario. Right? Just don't get arrogant in that moment and you'll be fine. But when I was 15 years old, I started to work every summer at a camp for terminally ill children and their family. I'd go down for two or three weeks every summer outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And I did that until I was about 28 years old, which meant for the last couple of years, last three or four years, I had already started to serve as a pastor, uh, which is the kind of thing that traveled quickly around the camp. And most of the families by day two knew what I did 
for a living, and I would get time to play with their kids and time to do all kinds of fun activities as a family, and we get a lot of downtime to hang out by the pool. And it would feel like um, on an average year, about every single family would take some turn around, I'm just happily in the pool uh, trying to play Marco Polo with the kids or whatever's going on, and some adult would kind of come over and be like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'd be like, oh man, here we go. And the conversation would always go some version of, so you're a pastor, right? I'm like, yeah, I am, not a very good one though, and I don't, you know, but yes, yes sir, I am. Okay, well, can I just ask you some questions? They're like, oh boy. And it would always work its way around to, so if you believe in this all-powerful God, can you tell me why my son has leukemia? No, sir, I can't. I, I can tell you a bunch of books that do that. I, I know kind of the landscape of that conversation and God's sovereignty and human responsibility and the fallen world and Eden and the future redemption of the world. I, I, I can hold my own with it, but at the end of the day, ma'am, no, I can't tell you why your little girl has cancer. I, I, I can't tell you that. And we don't want to be the kind of people, individually or as a church, that's unwilling to ask those kind of questions. Right? We can't just break out the sovereignty of God on the sunny days. We have to say, yeah, but what about in the days when I did get furloughed in this pandemic and they still haven't called back? What about the time where I wasn't able to pay my rent? What about the relationships that I've lost? What about all the pain? What about all the hurt? What about all the suffering? Those are fair questions. I can't, in a quick five-minute aside, give you a definitive answer because we could write books on it, and it still comes back to, yeah, I don't fully know. But don't let those questions talk you out of your belief that God really is in control. Right? Those are good questions, but don't let them rob you of the sense of safety and security and freedom that comes from acknowledging that God's in control. Right? Because at the end of the day, that's the only answer that actually holds any ballast in our hearts. We've already established that we're not in control. The last 16 months have shown us that. If you reject the fact that God's in control, then let me just ask you, if you're not, do you want to live life just saying, actually, nobody's in control? It's just a complete free-for-all, and it just kind of all happens, and there's no rhyme or reason or purpose or anything? That, that, that seems like the worst of all scenarios. It's just, it's just random. And I don't think we want to live in a world where we say, well, you know, God's not in control, but, you know, the government is. That doesn't seem very satisfying. Uh, just... <laughs> Wherever you are on the political spectrum, we're not like, yeah, that works for me. My soul's back encouraged. We're like, oh, let's just call it what it is. Jeff Bezos is in control. Like, you know, we can't feed ourselves without him. Although, way to go, Richard Branson, you got to space first. You know, so Sir Richard is in control. And we're like, no, also not comfort. Like, it's not us. It's not anything else. There's questions. But God is in control. If we can get there, 
then that means that you and I have a really clear job every single day of our lives. It's to get up and follow God's leading in our life. It's to say, I have far less control than I thought. But God, you have way more control than I thought. So here's the agenda for today. I got to get up and say, God, you're going to have to show me what you want from me today. Which is why you see prayers all over the Bible that say, not my will be done, but yours. That one's out of the mouth of Jesus. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why David, throughout the Psalms, multiple times says, Lord, teach me your ways. Just show me what I'm supposed to do today. We want to architect the blueprint for our lives. And God's like, no, no, here's how we do this. I will show you what I want from you this afternoon. And you'll just walk in faithfulness this afternoon. And then I'll show you the plan for this evening. And we'll get up and do it again tomorrow. You're going to have to live close to God to do it that way. You can't just download the plan for the week and go live on your own. Check back in with him next Sunday. He's like, no, no, we're going to do this moment by moment. We're going to do this step by step. We're going to do this day by day. But you have to know that God is so committed to you that he is going to use all of his sovereign power to help you navigate the twists and turns of life. That you will end up living the story that he is writing for you. We're calling this series Aftermath. Because aftermath kind of prompts this question of what comes after a massive event. Right? And, and when it comes to this issue of control, the temptation for all of us is going to be to arrogantly power up and to try to flex our control muscles after 16 months of being out of control. Right? There's going to be something in us that has this sense of, man, I hated that feeling of being out of control, and I'm never going to let that happen again. So I'm going to start making sure that I'm taking all the necessary precautions to stay in control no matter what happens. I'm going to upgrade the home office. I'm going to save more. I'm going to buy a second home somewhere else. I'm going to do whatever I need to do so that whatever life throws at me, I'm going to have an answer. I'm going to know how to navigate it. I'm going to know how to handle it. But listen, you don't want to go down that road because if you do, something else is going to come along and remind you that you aren't really in control. Now, Lord willing, I'm just trying to apply the message. Lord willing, It's not going to be another pandemic, but it'll be something. It'll be an illness of a child. It'll be the loss of a job. It'll be an unexpected opportunity. It'll be something that comes into your life that reminds you that you don't have quite as much control as you thought you did. I don't go down that path. Find the freedom and the joy that comes when we say, all right, God, why don't you just be God? I won't try to sit in your chair when I think you're not looking and I'll just allow you 
to lead me. It doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean you don't save. It just means we resist the temptation to pretend we're God. Now, in order to do that, we are going to have to be deeply convinced that the one who is in control is good and that he loves us. Which is why on the way in, you got one of those little COVID-friendly, gluten-free communion cups that has bread and a cracker in there. Because as a church, we're going to take communion together this morning. Because if you're not sure how you feel about God being in control, this moment is designed to remind us that the God of the universe sent his baby boy to die on a cross. To die on a cross for all of the times that we would arrogantly push God to the side and try to take his job. For all of the moments that we would power up and say, thank you God, I'm happy to take it from here. For all of the moments where we said, no, not your will, but my will be done all the moments that we tried to establish our little kingdoms. And remember that even in our moments